Hello and welcome to the Outpost Community Church Sunday podcast. My name is Greg and we are currently going through a series in Matthew and we are so glad you tuned in. If you'd like to hear more about the vision and mission of Outpost Community Church, you can go to our website at outpostcommunity.org and you will find it there. Otherwise, we pray that you have a wonderful week of worship and that this message would inspire you to follow Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All right, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, okay? And we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 15. If you go ahead and stand with me, we're just going to stand and make the word... Uh, I just told you to sit down, and then I'm telling you to stand. It's like a roller coaster in here. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, uh, and then we'll kind of dive into this. Uh, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. All right, you guys can have a seat. It's the word of the Lord. Well, we're in a series right now we're calling Reset, and I love Summer and Cody. Does anybody love Summer and Cody? Yeah, we'd love it if it would show up already, and I think it's finally here. And so I love Summer and Cody. It's a great time that for years I always thought, you know what, everyone disappears in the summer and I used to think you should fight it. Nah, it's actually something we should lean into. It's a sweet time to enjoy a beautiful place. People travel from all over the world to come and hang out here, right? We live in an amazing place. And it's, how many of you guys have really had a meaningful experience with the Lord in the mountains? Anybody in here? Anybody have a meaningful experience out on a river slaying some trout? Yeah? Okay, none of you. I did this past week. Clay took me fishing. It was wonderful. I actually caught some fish, which made it actually great because fishing and not catching fish is a bummer. But uh, just enjoying being out, uh, being with family, extended time uh, camping or hanging out or lingering. The sun is like, my, how many of you are your kids? The, the ki for kids, bedtime in the summer is a weird thing, right? Because it's 945 and it still feels like it's 6. 
They're like, well, the light's out. So I got to get some blackout curtains so my kids will actually go to sleep. Um, but what we wanted to do is we wanted to take some time to just say, hey, enjoy that. Feel free to be gone for a weekend camping, but redeem that time, okay? And so we also wanted to take a break from Matthew, knowing that some of you guys are going to be gone. We didn't want to be just cruising through Matthew. We wanted to take a time uh, to where each week it's going to be a single topic where we could just reset our mindset and our hearts to uh, walking in the way of Jesus. So we're looking at some spiritual disciplines and some spiritual pathways, and so we're just talking about these things, taking each Sunday as standalones to just kind of get a little bit of reset, all right? And so today we're talking about uh, resetting our understanding of generosity, all right? And so this past week, um, uh, I was coming into the house, and my son heard a motorcycle go by, Boone, and Boone was like, Dad, you got to buy a motorcycle. And I was like, yeah, buddy, one day. I don't have money to buy a, a motorcycle. He's like, well, you need to buy some money. And I was like, that's, that's not how that works. Like, you earn money. He goes, no, dad, you need to buy some money and buy a motorcycle. And I was like, okay, buddy, uh, you need to reset your understanding of how money works. And truth be told, I think we as a church, there's times where we need to reset our understanding of what generosity means. It's not a, it's not a dollar thing. It's not a money thing. It is a heart thing. And so today we're going to look at resetting generosity, and we're going to see it as, as Paul describes, as an act of grace, an act of grace, generosity. And we're going to see that it's not just an act of grace that comes through you. It's an act of grace of God for the church and for the world when the church is generous, all right? And so we're going to dive into this. And so as I've done the last three weeks, and if you're at the Pow Wow Gardens last week, you didn't hear anything I said because apparently only three people heard it. I thought about reteaching it today, but I was like, ah, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. We're going to keep going. So we're going to jump in. We're going to look at us. All right, we're, no, we're going to look at the passage. I'm going to break it down really quickly for you. We're going to see some key points. We're going to find a thesis statement. And then we're going to apply it to us as individuals because when it comes down to it, generosity is not something that I make you do. It's something, generosity is something that I must choose to do myself. I can't make you do anything. And it's something you've got to choose to do yourself, and you need a good why. So we're going to look at the other passage, and we're going to look at us. Then we're going to look, about, look at how can we be generous as a family? How do we cultivate that in our family? And then we're going to talk about how we cultivate that as a church. And more specifically, we're going to look at how at Outposts do we walk this out, all right? So you've got a clear idea where we're going. Let's look at the passage first. So the first thing we're going to look at in verses 1 through 5 is we're going to look at the Macedonian example, all right? Macedonian example. So verse 1, we're going to look at the source of their giving. In verse 1, it says this, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, I love, just absolutely love the way Paul opens this up. I love, Paul is like a guy who's bragging about one of his friends. He's like, man, I got to tell y'all about my friends in Macedonia. I got I to gotta brag about these guys. Did you, did you hear about what they've been doing, about their generosity? Like, he is so impressed with what's been going on there. And it, just imagine, Paul's got to be, when it comes to the church, a hard guy to impress. And he is so impressed with what's going on in Macedonia. He says two things are happening. He says they've been incredibly generous, and he said it's by the grace of God, and the number two is it was totally unexpected. Didn't see it coming. Verse 5, he says this, and this, not as we expected, or is that verse 5? It is verse 5, isn't it? Yeah, I'm in the right spot. Okay, here we go. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us. 
okay? The generosity coming out of a Macedonian church was so unexpected that Paul claims that the only explanation for their generosity is that, man, God must have struck these people. God had to be involved with what's going on in Macedonia. This had to be an act of grace from God through the Macedonians. Now listen, opponents to the faith, the Christian faith, will say that faith in Christianity, it's just a crutch. Uh, it's just a crutch for people to lean on, that there, maybe there's something that exists out there, and that if you do good things, there's a hope for you after this life ends. That's, you know, at, you know, that's it, what it is at best. And at worst, they see the faith as something that is just a, a system that takes advantage of the poor, uh, clever, religious-ish people taking advantage of the poor. Now, I want to tell you, unfortunately, that does exist, doesn't it? It does exist. But that is not the heart of the true church. It's not a crutch of doing good so I feel good about myself or just manipulative people taking advantage of the poor so they can walk away with some money and buy their Learjet and fly around and preach, right? Now that happens, but that's not the true heart of the church. The true heart of the church, Paul says, is the best explanation that what's going on here is it's a work of God in humanity. And generosity here is a work of God in these people who have given themselves to God. Now, how, why is Paul convinced that this is not just some clever fundraising campaign? Why is Paul convinced that the Macedonians aren't just doing this so they can earn their way into heaven? He says, because look at this, look at the context. In the context in verse 2, he says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Think of the river in Red Lodge last year, just an overflowing flood of generosity in the midst of affliction and extreme poverty. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of people, and I, I can tend to be this. Anybody like uh, know somebody? I'm not going to, maybe you won't claim it yourself. Okay, don't say their name. They might be around you right now. Uh, but anybody know somebody who likes to embellish how bad things are? Right? It's just so bad, right? It's just terrible, right? And uh, they like to embellish. Sometimes they can say it's harder than it is. Well, there's some guys you come across that uh, when they say something's hard, it's legitimately hard, Right? Anytime I talk to somebody from Vietnam, right, back in Nam, you know, like, you think that's hard, right? It's just, that was a joke, guys. I'm not trying to make fun of Vietnam vets. All right, yeah, wake up, be with me. Uh, there's some people that when they say it's hard, it's hard, and Paul's one of those guys. You guys know the story of Paul? Paul's been through some things, right? He's starved. He's had friends abandon him. That's, that's bad enough. He's been stoned almost to death. Anybody had that experience happen to you this past week? It's like a bad day. How was your week? Ah, it's good. I got stoned, though. But not in the way that our teenagers are talking about. Like, they threw rocks at me. Right? He was, like, thrown into an arena. Like, the guy has, like, almost died. He's been shipwrecked. So when Paul says that these guys have, man, they're in a severe test of affliction. They are extremely poor. He means it. But nevertheless, in their affliction and in their poverty, there was a wealth of, and I love this word in here, joy. Joyous generosity 
in the Macedonian church. In other words, there was this a sincere and happy accumulation of resource to go and help other people. And the other people in this is those in Jerusalem who are going through a severe test themselves. These guys are pumped, and they want to be a part. And then Paul goes to talk about the measure of their giving. And he says this, for they gave according to their means. And if they're in severe or extreme poverty, they probably don't have a lot of means, right? Probably not a lot of means. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. They didn't just give what they could. They gave beyond what they could. They gave beyond their means. They dug deeper. But what would possess somebody to do that? Why? Paul says their desire in verse 4. He says they were begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Nobody begged them. Nobody got up, cleverly showed pictures of hungry, hurting children in Jerusalem. They just said, hey, this is what's going on. The guys were like, can we be a part? Let us be a part of this. We want to be a part of what's going on. Here, take this. No, 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 take this. We beg you. We want to be a part of this because they had desire in their heart to care for brothers and sisters in the church somewhere else. Anybody think this is crazy? I think this is crazy. Even Paul says, I did not expect that. Even Paul, who's seen some things in the church, is going, wow, I've never seen anything like this. This must be God. Guys, I want you to know right now, this is God at work. And Paul's going, I can't even explain this. These guys must have the spirit of Christ inside of them. Nothing would possess somebody in such poverty and affliction to do this. This has got to be God at work in these people. What possessed them to give so dangerously yet generously? What, uh, why were they so irresponsibly giving but joyfully at the same time giving their, of their time, talents, treasures? Giving of their resources. Paul's going to say in verse 9 explicitly why. But we're at verse 6. So let's build up to that and let's look, get a better picture of this as we look as Paul has just showed that to Macedonian or showed that to the Corinthians using the Macedonian's example just as I've done now to you. And look at what he says now to the Corinthians. Verse, verse 6. He's telling them to finish what they started. He says, accordingly. In other words, he says, in the same way. Hey, just like our friends, we urged Titus, who's one of the companions of Paul. He's a young dude. He's passionate, great servant of Christ. And Titus, that, he had, that what he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Guys, somebody shout out to me, wherever you are, what's the act of grace that Paul's talking about? It's what? It, what is it? Giving, it's generosity. The act of grace is generosity. He, said, he, doesn't call, he didn't say generosity, he doesn't say giving. He goes, hey, what you guys started, we're asking Titus to help you finish this act of grace. Do you see this is rooted in God? As verse 1 said, it's a grace of God. Why am I building this up for you guys? Well, let's just keep cruising. He says, I want you guys to finish. So apparently Titus had got this thing started. We're going to find out it was about a year ago. And he says this, he says, I want you to excel in this act of grace. Verse 7, look at this. But as, as you excel in everything, that's a compliment, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, 
And in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What's the act of grace again? It's, it's giving and generosity. So, so for those of you who went through 1 Corinthians, anybody who was here for 1 Corinthians when I taught through that? Anybody in the, in the room was here for that? Great. The best way to describe the 1 Corinthian church was what? Dysfunctional. They were a mess. You go read that letter, and, you, and if you got that letter to you, you go, oh, man, I have messed up. They were a mess. But this is 2 Corinthians, and some things have changed. And he says that these guys, man, they've got faith. That's some great speech. They got knowledge. You guys got earnestness. You guys have changed. You know what? I want you to keep on excelling, not just in those things. I want you to excel in this as well. Now, uh, anybody ever heard of the man Simon Sinek? Simon Sinek wrote a book called Start With Why. It's a great book. Every leader knows that you cannot motivate people into something so crazy as generosity like this without a good reason why right? And so in Simon Singh's book, he says, like, just, you don't have to buy the book. Just read the title. Start with why. Why should I do this? And so he's saying, hey, I want you to excel in this grace, just as our brothers and sisters in Macedonia, who, man, are way poorer than you and are really struggling and are getting beat down, how they jumped in. They begged us to jump in. I want y'all to do it. And listen, here's why. Check this out. Number one, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. He's saying, guys, I'm not trying to make your giving compulsory. I'm not trying to command you. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. He goes, man, I want you to do it because I want you to show everybody. I want you to show the world and the Lord that your love is genuine too. You've got a genuine love. I know you do. Show it right now. Take advantage of this opportunity. So that's number one. But then here comes the foundation, the cornerstone for everything in this passage. And listen to me. Verse 9. I'm going to read it to you twice. I should read it to you a hundred times. This is the foundation for all of generosity. This verse right here. Okay? So if you got a highlighter, you got a pen, you like to highlight, this is where you should highlight. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that, through, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That was written to the Corinthians, but that is also written for you. So as I read it a second time, I want you to hear Paul talking to you. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that, through he, though, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Amen? What does this mean? Well, first of all, I've already said this is the central verse. This is the most important thing. This is the why of all of your life if you're a believer in Christ. This is the why, though, of your generosity. This is the heart. This is the reset moment right here is this verse. He's saying that everything about generosity flows from this truth, that Jesus, though he was God and lacked nothing, wealthy beyond all of your understanding, rich beyond all measure, he set aside his wealth to take on human form and dwell among us. 
He gave up being the heir to be one of you, to be one of us. He became poor. Now, did Jesus come and dwell in a king's palace? Was he born in a king's palace? Man was born in a stable, born in, in, in like a barn. He came to a poor family that had nothing. Did he make tons of money in his adult career? Did he fly around in a sweet stallion? Now he rode a donkey to his death. Jesus came to be poor. But listen, he didn't come to just be financially poor. It's so much more than that. He came on to came to take our spiritual poverty on himself. But listen, we don't end there. Jesus didn't come to take our spiritual poverty, and that's it, did he, friends? What else did he come to do? He came to give us a spiritual inheritance. In other words, everything that Jesus has at his disposal, all the wealth of, and it's not wealth of gold streets and pearly gates and Nice bedroom up there, as John 14, 2 says, that God's preparing for you. You know what? The, the Bible, when it's talking about wealth, true wealth is not about money. It's about righteousness. Listen to me. If you could buy your way into heaven, wouldn't you want to know what it costs? What's the dollar amount? Here's the thing that the Bible's going to tell you over and over. There is no dollar amount that gets you into heaven. In fact, when you die, you show up at the gates with zero. Whether you're a billionaire today or you only got 15 bucks to your name, you're showing up the same way. The only way that you can be given access into the kingdom of God is by having a wealth of righteousness. You go, okay, I've heard that, right? So when I ask people when I'm on a plane or I'm at a coffee shop, I go, hey, what are the odds of going to heaven? And, you know, what do you think? Scale of 1 to 10, they usually tell me 7. And when I say, all right, why would you say 7? If G- you're standing before Jesus right now, and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? They go, well, I've been a pretty good guy. They always tell me 7 because they're like, I, I know I've messed some things up. So I can't say 10. That would be a little arrogant of me. So I'll say 7 because I have been pretty good. You know, like I've helped out with some things. I've done some whatever. Right? And they stack up some things. And what they're saying is, I've got, I've got a little money bag of righteousness. But the problem is, in heaven, you need far more righteousness than you can come up with. The Macedonians and the Corinthians and the Kodiites, we couldn't put together all of our righteousness to get even one of us in. We couldn't do it. And so Jesus, God in his loving generosity, what did he do for us, friends? He sent the richest man in righteousness to come and give you his righteousness. But the problem is he couldn't just give you righteousness and stack it up on top of your sin. He had to also take our punishment of our sin. So he took our debt on himself, which is stupid. Why would he do that? That's ridiculous. He did it because he loves you. I want you to know, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know one thing about Jesus. He loves you so much, he wouldn't just give you his, his inheritance, he'd also take your debt. And that debt cost him his life. And friends, you need to understand, if you have not seen the church be generous, it's because they don't understand that one simple truth. All of generosity and all of gospel living, all of it comes from this one fact, is that at the center of our faith, we have somebody giving us something we don't deserve. And now we live our life for him. It's just, holy crap, like, listen, 
I just wish we were a little bit more Pentecostal in this room because I think there would have been a couple amens and hallelujahs right there. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? Friends in the room who don't know Jesus, listen to me, man. They should have been shouting out right there because that's the joy of their life. And it's the foundation of their generosity. And so he, man, so, so good. Jesus says, actually, Matthew 16, 26, he makes it even more clear. He goes, listen, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? How crazy. Elon Musk is not going to pay his way in. Uh, the new wealthiest man on, in the world, the Louis Vuitton guy, he's not going to be able to pay his way into heaven. When he meets Jesus, he's going to be just as financially stable as you. But some of you will stand before Jesus with no dollars and say, I, I got no reason you should let me in other than I, I, I believe in Jesus. And I do believe that you'll let me in because of what he has said. I'm a 10 out of 10. But not because of me, because of Jesus. Amen? That's why I'm getting in. So good. So let's keep going. Verse 10. He also talks about there's a personal benefit. So he got the foundation. There's a personal benefit. Verse 10, he says, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. Generosity benefits you. I'm going to get into that here in a little bit. Who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Listen, you started well. You wanted to do this. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Paul brings up how their generosity started. Apparently, a year ago, they really wanted to do it. Motivated by a gospel generosity. What gospel generosity? You know what a generosity that's motivated by Jesus in the gospel? It's a take, the gospel takes your generosity from a, I have to do this to a, I get to do this. It takes it from a, I have to do this, I have to go to church, I have to wear a button down, I have to give it my money and my time, talents, and treasures, thanks for making an alliteration. I, I have to, you know, serve. If, if you, you, listen, you don't have to do anything. Go, get on, go on. There's better hobbies in life than coming here. But there are people who are coming here not because they have to, because they get to. They give because they get to. And he's saying, man, you, you had an attitude of, man, I get to be a part of this. He goes, now finish it out by completing that get to. Finish it out. It's your benefit. Just as Jesus coming, and you can go, what benefit did Jesus have in dying on that cross for us? Well, it, the gain was you. What benefit do we have as the church of giving? The, the benefit is more gain for God. That others might know the kingdom. Others might know the king, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why we're part. I would love to make sure somebody is fed so their stomach stops grumbling so I can tell them about, the, tell about Jesus. Right? I would love for my friend to not have to live on the street to make sure I care for her because something has happened in her life. And we're going, let's get you in a place. And then, hey, by the way, I want you to know that I would not give you anything if it wasn't for Jesus. I'd spend that money on me because I earned it right? But you, get, you know what? I get to do it, and I'm so happy, but I got to tell you about my, how happy I am with my Savior Jesus, who gave me a lot more than a home to live in. Oh, it's such a, a, a gift. And so then what he says is, listen, not only is it a benefit to you, but listen, if you want to finish this out, and how many of you guys like, listen, life happens. Life happens. Things are, things are going on in your life right now, right? Anybody, you had a budget, and then something happened, and then your fun money just was no more fun, it was water heater money. 
right? That stinks. That's not fun. I feel like that's been 10 years of my life. Like, oh, we have some extra money. Car breaks down. Oh, that's what it's for. (sighs) All right. Here you go. All right? So that's why he says, number one, you need to be ready. Listen to this. Verse 12, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. What Paul is getting to, guys, (coughs) what he's getting to is this. Listen, he knows life happens, and so he said, be ready, prepare yourself. You should make the choice to be a generous person if you have, listen, if you are rooted in Christ, you should make this choice to be uh, generous and go, I'm going to make myself ready. I'm not going to give and go, it's the end of the month. I got 20 bucks left over. Let me throw that out. He's going, no, I want to prepare my heart to do this because I get to do this. Like mortgage, ah, that's secondary. I get to give and I want to be a part of giving. Now he says, I want you to be ready because he knows that sometimes your business, your life, all these things, it could start to consume and take up your space. Am I right? It takes up a ton of space. And he says, make this a part of who you are. Now, he does it, and he also cares about fairness. This is weird, because I was always told as a kid, like, nothing's fair. Life's not fair, right? And suddenly I read in the Bible, it talks about fairness. Okay, great. Thank you, mom and dad, for not telling me that. All right, so here's what he says. But for, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. What is Paul saying? He said, listen, uh, he's basically saying this, guys. He's like, listen, I want you to be prepared so that you can make sure that you can care for others. Also, he goes, once you hear that there's a need, he's like, sometimes you find out there's a need and you weren't ready for it. And, and, and you would like to give more. You would like to be more generous. But you're like, but I, I wasn't ready for it. So he's trying to give them time and the gospel. And what it does is it gives them time to prepare their hearts so they could be as generous as they wanted to be. Anybody ever have that happen? Jake and I were having a great conversation about this. Both of us were very excited about this message because he was down in Mexico, and he had prepared his heart to be generous. He went down there knowing that he had some extra money. He wanted to give out to people uh, while he was down in Mexico with his daughter and some, uh, and some friends, and they were serving Christ. And he, he, what was great was he's like a need would come up, and he had already had his, himself ready with somebody go, hey, I would like to meet that, or I'd like to help with that, or hey, I'd like to purchase that. And he said it just was like an overwhelming joy of being able to give because he prepared and he was able to meet that. And even though he prepared himself, you know what Jake said when he got back? Anybody want to guess? I wish I could have gave more. That was so fun. He got to see families reunited because of his generosity. Am I trying to, I'm not trying to lift up Jake to make him look awesome to you. I'm trying to do what Paul did with the Macedonians and say, as my brother Jake had a blast giving, begging to be a part. Guys, the only thing you're missing out on is the joy of it. We don't need your daggum money. What we need is for you to realize the joy of joining Jesus and the rest of the generous church and going, there's something on the other end of it, and you won't know it until you do it. But I got a couple things I got to tell you about that first, though, okay? So let's keep going. Number one, uh, he, Paul says, that, or next thing he says is, he says, uh, right, like, I, I want this to be fairness. And so what he's going to say in verse 15, he says, as it's written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is just a, a proverbial statement that he says. It's a lot like the, the statement some of you guys have heard, which is, hey, we don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul. Anybody ever heard that? That's what he's saying here. He's like, look, we're not trying to make you poor to go take poor people and make them rich. We're not sitting here trying to play games here. We just want to meet some needs. And so it's an individual movement 
that creates a wave of generosity that meets a massive need of what's going on in Jerusalem, where people are dying and losing their lives for the gospel. And so it's that kind of thing. So listen, it, we're, nobody's asking. The, the Bible, even Paul is not asking you to go, just go become poor. It does not actually, I, when I was in college, all college Christians have this idea that we think that poverty is like the pinnacle of Christian faith. It's like, no, you're in college, you are poor. That's just the way it is, right? And so um, poverty is not something that is like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm poor in my faith, and I'm just, I gave all my, it, it's not a bragging token. It's not a merit badge, okay? Generosity is. Generosity is just an example of living with Jesus. Just because you're poor like Jesus was doesn't mean that you're more Christ-like. Do you understand what I'm saying? I know some people who are, have more money than all of you combined. And they're more faithful than this and have more joy in this than some of us. It has nothing to do with how much money you have. It has everything to do with the heart. So how does this apply to us? Let's talk about what this means for us. Our thesis statement uh, throughout this whole thing that I, I think that it develops out of this passage is this, that uh, resetting our financial generosity to a gospel-centered mindset becomes an act of God's grace to the church and to the world. Resetting our financial generosity to a gospel-centered mindset becomes an act of God's grace to the church and the world. What does that mean for us? What can we take away from this passage to guide us, to motivate us into a form of generosity that really glorifies God? Because that's what we want as Christians. Well, first things first. Friends, do you understand the wealth of riches that have been provided for you through Jesus? If you don't understand that, then don't listen to anything else I say about generosity. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? When Paul says that the foundation for generosity is the good news of Jesus, he means it. That's what it's all about. So guys, listen, any motive, I'm gonna say something really shocking. Any motivation for generosity that is not founded in the good news of what Jesus has done is not an act of God's grace, but a work of humanity. Therefore, it is a work of Satan. Listen to me. I'm going to say that again. Ponder what I'm saying. Any act of generosity that comes from a motivation that is not founded on the gospel, and not founded on, is, it, it is not an act of God's grace, but a work of humanity, therefore a work of Satan. And you're like, hold on a second. Satan is not generous. Greg, why would you say that? Well, let me help you understand. It's simple. God does not ask you to be generous so that you will be blessed. He does not. That is what prosperity preachers and legalistic pastors promote, and it is exactly what Satan wants you to hear. And it is a lie. It is an absolute lie. He wants you to believe in your heart that if you give your money to a cause, you will be saved. You will be good. And that is the truest definition of compulsory giving and it is 100% satanic lie. You hear me? Joyous giving doesn't come from a have-to mindset, but a get-to mindset. It's not generated from a I give so that I might be blessed mindset, but from a mindset that hasn't been reset to the gospel, recalibrated to the good news of what Jesus has done. And it says, I have been blessed, therefore I give generously. Do you understand the difference? Do you see that, friends? I have been blessed, so therefore I'll be a generous. I'm not generous so that I will be blessed. I know what I have in Christ. In fact, 
I don't fully know it, and I'm trying to know it more. And the more I know it, the more I want to give of my own self in life, including my funds. And guys, this is what we have to be transformed into. So guys, listen, Romans 12, 2, Paul wrote another beautiful book. In Romans 12, 2, he says this, do not be conformed to this world. The world's idea of generosity, guys, is that if you give, you're going to be good. You're going to show up to heaven as a seven, and Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I don't know who you are. And Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may know what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You know what's good, acceptable, and perfect? You knowing that you don't have to give anything to be saved. Matter of fact, you can't, because God gave it all, and you could be saved. That should change everything about your generosity, shouldn't it? Absolutely everything. So, do you know that Jesus was made poor so that you might be rich? Have you experienced the generosity of God through Jesus? Do you understand the priceless gift of righteousness that has been provided for you? If you do, then the foundation for the grace, this act of grace, is in you. And man, God could do a lot through you. Even if you're an old lady with a penny, he says that's a lot more than a wealthy man making a lot of noise about how much he's given. So here's what I want to tell you. Because I've been tasked, I've been given the responsibility to lead out from the stage some discipleship of you guys, to try to get you to grow in your, your faith towards Jesus as well as myself. Here's what I want to tell you. For the love of God, do not give any money to this church or any Christian ministry if your motivation is you think that you're going to be good. Please don't. You doing that is not sowing seeds for your blessing later on. It's sowing seeds of confusion in your heart. And I don't want that in your heart. So I would rather you not give here until you understand what God has given you. So please, you're hearing a pastor say, don't give to outposts. Do not give here. But if you understand the gospel, go freaking nuts. Not because it's going to, I don't get a cut. I don't get a percentage or a slice of what happens here. I want you to go nuts because you're going to find out how nuts the joy of generosity really is. You're going to know what Jake found out last week. So amazing. All right. Now, second, uh, well, I think what we can learn from this passage is Christians in this room, you know the joy of this. You know the goodness of the gospel. This is part of your life. I want to tell you, I think what we can learn from this passage is you need to learn to prepare yourself, which I think would say is this. To remind yourself of the gospel, I think you need to give regularly. Make it a regular pattern in your life to constantly remind you of what God is doing in your life. Let me give you an example. So um, you might go, hey, that sounds like a bill. Like that could turn into a bill real quickly. I totally agree. For Bonnie and I, we gave online and it would go out and it would just kind of go as a bill. We wouldn't think about it. Like, oh yeah, that, you know, this. And we, and we just treated it like a budget item. And there was no joy in it. And so yes, the church benefited from it and they didn't give a care about whether or not we were getting the joy out of it. They still stewarded it for the kingdom of God. And, but God finally got a grip on Bonnie and I's hearts and we began to realize like, man, we're giving, but we're not involved in it. And so we just made one simple change. And the one simple change was we're going to keep on giving, but now we're going to be prayerful as we do it. So I've told you this before. We set our phone out on the table. We use the church center app. We put the number in there. We, uh, we sit with our family, which I'm talking about here in a minute, and we now pray. Here's just simply kind of, I wrote it down. Here's simply kind of what we pray uh, every single month. Lord, thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you for providing money in our bank account. 
that gives us the ability to have a home and food and shelter and clothing and, all, and transportation. But even more, thank you for providing our salvation. We love you, God, and we're so thankful for you. Please use this money to help others experience what we now know. It's small, but we know you could do big things with it. We just pray that. And it's a moment where we get to be reminded of the gospel in our household. And it's phenomenal. It's amazing how much it's changed it. Now, has it eliminated all of our financial anxieties? No. We're still silly little humans that think God's not in control. So God's still changing us. But, man, I tell you what, we did not see progress in this area until we started going, let's just get, let's just get involved. Let's be prayerful. So that's my encouragement to you is, man, don't just give regularly. Give prayerfully regularly. It is an opportunity for you to remind yourself of what God has given to you. Amen? Yes. All right, awesome. Let's keep going. How can we do this with our family? How can we cultivate little, little disciples in our house when it comes to generosity? The easiest way to say this is, man, let them be a part. Bring your kids in. Let them see the number. Let them jump in and, and give as well. So what we do at our house, like I said, we set the phone on the table. It's usually around dinner. We eat, we eat together. And as we're eating together, we go, hey, guys, do you want to be involved in this? Right? Uh, and some of my kids have no money. Olivia did. Okay, listen, guys. Y'all have got to stop paying little, little girls so much for lemonade. It's ridiculous. Okay? My daughter in four hours made more money than most of us make in a day. It was, it was so dumb. I was like, this is not good for her. Right? Um, but we brought our daughter in to the joy of generosity, and so she took a percentage of that, and she wants to give and be a part, and she's going to joyfully jump into the prayer. And my daughter's learning at 10 what it looks like to walk out this message that you adults are learning. Isn't that cool? Let your kids be a part. Also, bring them in. Sometimes there's, there's giving or generosity in your life where it's just spontaneous, man. Somebody's in the hospital, and, they, and so their family needs some food. Bring your kid in on that. Let them help cook it. When you go to deliver it, take your kid with you. Tell them why you're doing it on the way there. You're not bragging. You're discipling. You're raising children who love Jesus. You're showing them. You get to go, man, listen, this is what Jesus has done for us. This is why we do this for others. You know what that does for a kid's discipleship? It's foundational. Let them be a part. Let your kids be generous. Lastly, how can we apply this to our community? I want to talk very specifically, and we're going to wrap this up. How do we practice generosity in real time as a community? Well, in 1 Corinthians 8, we, we see that we need to always be preparing ourselves to provide for one another. And at Outpost, that starts at the community level. So if you're a member of Outpost, you have a higher priority to uh, our leadership team than if you're an attender here. And if that blows your mind, you listen, if you sign up to the rec center and you have a pass there, you have a higher priority to them than somebody who just walks in the door, right? It's an of course, duh. That's why you get the freedom to be able to walk in there and you scan your code and go. Now, listen, it doesn't mean that we think our members are better than attenders. Don't get confused, right? Don't get confused. And it's not because they paid some price to be a part. Jesus paid the price, and you could be a part as well. And you should be a part of a local community somewhere where they know your name and you are membered up with them. And now at Outpost, what we do is that means that uh, a lot, there's a pool of money at Outpost that is specifically set aside to care for our members, so that if something happens, we make sure that they're cared for, and it's called the Mercy Fund. Has anybody ever heard of it? The Mercy Fund. What we do is 10% of every dollar given to Outpost goes to the Mercy Fund. Now, the Mercy Fund doesn't just meet needs at Outpost, but it absolutely does. We want to make sure that every single member at Outpost, there's never a time they go without food, shelter, and clothing. That's our prayer, that no member would ever go without food, shelter, or clothing. Now, 
Did you notice I did not say that they wouldn't go without student debt? We don't think that's the church's job, nor the government's. And, uh, but, so let me, let me just walk through this. Let me stay here before it gets all weird and everyone's like, oh, geez, here we go. Just start talking about what happened in Supreme Court. No, I'm not. So here's what we do. First and foremost, let me tell you some practical steps you could do. Whether you're a member of Outpost or not, you can do these, guys, to be a part of this community, to care for one another. Because you're going to be known as Jesus' disciples by the way that you love one another. Number one, identify the true need. Identify true needs in the community. It should be our goal to make sure that everyone is provided for. I talked about that. Remember, Paul's point was about fairness. We're not looking to make some people rich and some people poor. We're not trying to rob Peter to pay Paul. We're trying to make sure everyone's got what they need and they're cared for. Uh, we aren't trying to pay off student debt we, to help buy a brand new car or anything like that. We're trying to make sure that needs are met when hardship hits. And that's exactly what we need. Okay, number two is just we work together as teams. So our members are put together in community teams, and that's where this care starts, okay? So uh, we want to help our friends. One of the first things you should do is help each other build budgets. I'll tell you what, it is really hard to talk about your finances with other people. It's very vulnerable, man. Bringing somebody into your budget, you spend how much on coffee, Greg Brooks? Uh, uh, that's ridiculous, dude. You know? And so uh, bringing people into your budget, helping each other find jobs, helping each other find a place to stay. Those are the ways that we can begin to live generously and help one another out, okay? And then beyond that, we begin to meet financially. So in our communities, what we ask our community team leader to do is if there's a financial situation that's going on in that community team, we say, has your team talked about it and can you guys meet it together? Is it a reasonable need and can you guys meet it together? This has happened like a dozen times at Outpost. And most of the time, it's met at the community level, and I never hear about it. Our business advisory team never hears about it. Our elder team never hears about it. It's not our responsibility. Why do we need to know about it? That would be gossip. And they meet it together at a team level. Now, occasionally, it's a need where the team can't meet it. It's much bigger than the team. That's fine. That's when it taps into our shepherds. And at Outpost, we have community team leaders, we have shepherds, and we have elders. And the shepherds have access to the Mercy Fund. All right, it's overseen by the elders and the BAT team, business advisory team, but the, the shepherds can come be a part of that and go, hey, we think the Mercy Fund, we can be able to support this need, and it's a seasonal meet. We'll try to meet that need. Does that make sense, guys? We set ourselves up in a way where we're able to do this for one another, and I'm telling you right now, no one has gone without need. Everyone who's raised their hand, we've been able to provide for. Isn't that awesome? Man, it's good to be a part of the church. It's like socialism, but you get to. It's not communism where they make you. I know you guys are all freaking out. <laughs> like, Acts 2 is about the most like, socialistic like, Bible section you've ever seen in your life. But we don't do it because we're trying to rob others to make some rich. We do it because we're followers of Jesus and we make sure we're cared for. And that's why the world goes, oh, y'all are different. Harvard and Stanford and Berkeley and these liberal colleges all out there who are teaching their, all these students this idea of communism and socialism and all that. Listen, they should be looking at the church and go, wait a second, <laughs> that thing that's killed like 100 million people, the church seems to be doing it, and it, that's amazing. And what are you guys doing? And we go, well, it's actually, it starts with Jesus. Can we talk to you about him first? Okay, so they notify the shepherds. So here's what we want you, the last thing I want you guys to know, guys to know and girls, is um, the Mercy Fund goes to meeting needs beyond Outpost Community Church. So we, we use that money to help out with foster care. We help... 
uh, with foster care and adoption, the closet, if you haven't heard about that, where we provide resources for the foster care system, um, to go to global partners, which we're developing right now in Honduras, Burma, and other parts of the world. And hopefully in the future, we want that money to go to seeing more church plants happening. If anybody wants to plant a church in Lovell, please come talk to me. I've been praying for you for years. Uh, and so that's what we want to see it go do because we think, man, you go, well, isn't that money meant to go like, buy food? Sometimes it's going and sending somebody to Lovell who can teach the gospel. So that fund, is, it's growing, it's being built up, uh, and it's there to meet your needs, church, to meet needs in our community, and make sure the gospel keeps going all over the world and in the Bighorn Basin. So that's how we get to do this. And guys, listen. We get to do it. Amen? All right. I ain't got nothing else to say. And I probably should quit. So let me pray for you. And we're going to sing to a God. Listen, we're going to sing to a God who gave us so much. So sing with all your heart. If you fell asleep halfway through, wake up, reminder, hey, you're still in a church building. And we love you. We're glad you're here. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for the Macedonian Christians and what you did there who serve as a great example to us of what it looks like to give and to be motivated correctly. And I just pray, God, in this room, uh, there's a lot of people who have given of their money so we could rent this space and turn on these lights and this sound system and uh, so that we could just host this time so that others can hear the good news of the gospel. So, God, I pray for any friend in this room who, man, maybe this is the first time they're understanding Jesus, what you've always wanted them to know, which is that you came for them and you gave up all spiritual richness and took on their debt so that they could be spiritually rich. I pray, Father, that today they would know that. That they forget all the conversation about money and they would hear that there's a God who wants to give them an, an infinite amount of righteousness, undeserved, for free. And I pray, God, that they would they'd seek you right now worship you, they would, they would pray. They would talk to you. And they would ask you for forgiveness of their sin. And God, right now that they'd find the healing, they'd find the inheritance that you promise in your spirit and in righteousness. And God, we know you can do it because you are good. So as we stand, Lord, receive our worship as praise. Receive our giving as praise. Receive our hearts and our whole lives as praise and honor and worship to the God who created Yellowstone National Park, created the mountains, created our children, and created us. May you receive the glory and honor that you deserve from now and forever. Amen. Stan, let's sing to him.